Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Craft Beer and Data. My name is Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist at Talon. I'm Mark Volkney, Director of Technical Product Marketing at Talon. And we're here in lovely Nashville. Now, last episode you saw us in Philadelphia, so we're on the third city, third city of our uh, Thinking While Drinking tour, uh, the TWD, if you will. Thank you for that. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, great city, great music, great beer. So we're here at New Heights Brewery. We've got Dustin and Jeff, uh, brewers for this, and uh, thank you guys for having us, right? Absolutely. So, now, real easy. Um, now, love the area. It's, it's been great kind of coming down here, reading about New Heights Brewery. Uh, so for our viewers, how about a little history? So, you know, where did this start from? How did it begin? I mean, generally speaking, from what I could research, it sounds like the, the kind of the two owners originally kind of kicked this off more of like a home brewers club, kind of research learned, and then through that, they kind of moved to Nashville, and here we are, roughly around 2014. About that, yeah. Okay, yeah, very cool. Um, great kind of facility. Uh, so what, what was it that drove the passions? You were kind of talking about um, the head brewer and just kind of his imagination in terms of new types of beers and things like that. Like what started or what kicked off that, hey, I'm gonna quit my job and be a brewer? <laughs> well, Jeff actually, uh, Jeff and his wife were born in uh, Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, and they uh, ended up getting married back in San Diego, which is where we met them. Uh, we, were all, we were all neighbors. <clears throat> My wife and I were working in the restaurant industry, so we had weird hours, and uh, we would run into Jeff out back, and he was he was home brewing, and we just we started hanging out, and over over a period of time, he was working actually professionally uh, brewing at Mission Brewing Company in San Diego. Okay. Um, over more than a few uh, pints of his home brew, uh, we came up with the crazy idea of of let's open a brewery. So. Uh, Tracy and Jeff were starting a family, so they wanted to get a bit closer back to home, and uh, we wanted to get out of, uh, call it the People's Republic of California now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we visited Nashville. Uh, we were here for a week, two days into it. We were, we were hooked. Right. Nashville was just an amazing city. Uh, so three months later, you and Tracy were here. Uh, four months later, uh, Katie and I were here. Yeah. So it's been... Yeah. I mean, it's it's like any tech startup, right? Crazy idea over a couple of beers, and next thing you know, you're <laughs> off to the races. Uh, well, that's Jeff. Jeff quit a 13 year. Yeah, for for me, it was um, growing up in Alabama, 90s and the early 2000s. Their beer was Bud Light. I mean, it was Miller Light. You just that's you know, it's yeah. come a long way. Since I grew up then. in Iowa. Same it's, thing. It's <laughs> come a, it, yeah, it, it's come a long way since then. But, but when I was there, that's yeah. what it was, and it had just started kind of creeping into the craft beer, but. Moved to San Diego and it was like, where has this been my whole life? Right. You know, it looked like it was like it was eye opening. Um, probably two, three months later, I was at a buddy's house and he was home brewing. And he was making his own, and I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Right. Yeah. Um, literally six months later, I had left 13 years in banking and finance and was volunteering in breweries. Um, took about two to three four months different ones and then finally got hired on there was a few of us that that went through together and it's pretty interesting to see where everybody's gone since then but um yeah that was you know home brewing along the way um we knew we wanted to move back closer to home um and like i say visited nashville and it was just 
happening spot. We, we had no idea that there were a hundred other people moving the same day we did, <laughs> but and that is what it is. So, no, it, um, that's it's quite. I mean, it is. It's it's literally a startup, right? You guys found each other, same area, same passions. I mean, we see that all the time in the valley when it comes to tech companies. So. You know, it's no surprise that, that not only did you bring the atmosphere and the beer, but kind of that family attitude of working with friends and getting stuff together. Well, and so. that's kind of New Heights. So we, we were at University Heights in San Diego, and this is our new neighborhood. It has nothing to do with elevation. Um, it's about not, I guess, really unpretentious craft beer. Right. Um, neighborhood, friends, you know, family, that type thing. Almost all of the names of our beers have come from conversations with friends or you know, drunk nights or whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that, you know, Perfect yeah, way. that's, that's kind of what it is. So, yeah, no, that's even our, even our logo, our, our logo is the, uh, is a water tower, uh, that was, uh, iconic, uh, landmark in the, in University Heights. <clears throat> so it's got the North Park water tower from San Diego with the Nashville skyline in it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a blend of, of where we're from and, and now our new home. So, new heights, new neighborhood, new home, new family. Oh, that's great. I mean, it, it's, it's just fascinating to hear the kind of the history and then it kind of evolves into, as you kind of mentioned, like the beer that you guys decide, right? So one of the things that we love to ask all the brewers uh, when we do these is, all right, so you guys have beers, right? And they're very unique to the area and unique to the, the culture that you guys have created. So what, what was the decision to kind of focus on? You know, I saw the website kind of mentioned like IPAs, clean ales, like rich stouts. So what was it that said these are the types of beers that we want to build? It's really the beers we like drinking. I mean, I mean to be honest <laughs> with you, we, we have to drink it. We we do drink it. So it's right. kind of you know it's what do we enjoy drinking? And if, and if you don't enjoy drinking it, you're just going to show in the product anyway, right? Right. I mean, so um, everything we do is something we're like we'll, we'll literally be talking like what else do you want to drink next week? And well, in a month, and then that's what we'll brew. Uh, it's seasonality, you know, it has a lot to do with it. Um, just whatever pops in my ADD head. <laughs> <laughs> so one time in, uh, I think we were in California, somebody referred to people in Colorado as hopheads. Um, I don't see a ton of IPAs up there. Do you guys, does Nashville and you guys like IPAs out here? Or? Not it, quite as strong. As it's still very, heads. it's very strong here. It's not as big as yeah. out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've got at any time four to five IPAs usually yeah. on. So interesting. Okay, no, that's Nick likes IPAs. I do. I that's why I picked one this morning. I see. You know, you, we'll work on you, Mark. It's going to take a while, but someday I'm very confident we'll be able to get you to drink a beer. I'm doing, I'm doing the coffee cream. Uh, cream one, which I found has nothing to do with cream. So. <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, back to that uh, pumpkin spice uh, yeah. whipped cream beer you yeah, had over it. Well, yeah. Pumpkin okay. spice green beer? Yeah. Pumpkin spice green beer. Yeah, it was good. Um, so, okay, so we've kind of talked about the history, we've talked about what there. So, one thing I always like hearing is not only just the, uh, the history of the brewery, but your guys' history in, in beer, which you kind of mentioned. So, what was, if you can remember, the first beer you guys actually crafted as like a homebrew? Was it like an IPA? Um, was it an yeah, ale? Yeah, for sure. It, it was a, um, a Belgian triple, dry hopped like an IPA, and it was horrible. And I thought it, <laughs> and I thought it was great. Right. Um, so, and it's yeah, actually let's funny. Let's go to business. Yeah, so, yeah exactly, right? It's like, it's horrible. Um, but so, yeah, all the first, I think as a homebrewer, you start doing all this crazy stuff and, you know, stuff you've never heard of. And, oh, my God, I can add this to it. 
And that's actually where nothing fancy the name came from. My dad was like, Jeff, I really want to try your beer, but I can't handle all this. Just give me something that's nothing fancy, and that's mm -hmm. our cream ale. So that's what that is, but with coffee. Coffee. Oh, so, huh. so that's actually kind of yeah where that came from. So it's interesting nice. that you asked that. Yeah, Dustin, <laughs> what about you? Uh, we're, we're I don't even know. We gotta get you in the state of mind to remember <laughs> what it was at the time. No, I hear you. We'll bring you out during blockchain and you talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, I mean, it's it is fascinating. I mean, just everyone's got that kind of first beer they tried and you're right most of the time we talk yeah you know looking back wasn't that great but at the time we thought it was the best thing we ever done and and so yeah i mean it is that's why we love doing these kind of episodes because it's so much the mirror between what we deal with in the tech industry what you guys deal with in the beer industry it's a bunch of passionate people trying to come up with things that we hey this is a great idea and, uh, okay yeah <laughs> let's see web van again maybe maybe not um no um Okay, so uh, the last question I love to ask on these types of things, and I mean, it's actually probably, you know, we've kind of hit it a bunch of times, but you know, we always take our work home, right? And, uh, but it's kind of in a mixed bag when I talk with the brewers as to when you've got such a great facility as, as you guys do, um, you know, so first of all, how many barrels are you guys putting out? Just under a thousand last year is our first full year, okay. and uh, we're hoping to be somewhere around 2,300 this year. So that's kind of the goal. That's impressive. So when you've got that level of equipment, uh, you know, do you go home and use kind of a little drum to kind of do a home brew batch, or at this point, given the facilities, when you've got an idea? Given, given that we are pretty strapped on fermenter space, we only have six, so we pretty much have to keep them full. So yeah. when we do something, we, we do it on the big batch. Um, we use the homebrew setup, the 15-gallon homebrew kettles, to add, I guess, to our beer. So we do use them. It's active, but we don't really brew on it. Okay. We'll brew the, the, the adjuncts or the additives and stuff like that on it and then pitch it to the beer. Yeah, no, I mean, I think even just the, the process that you guys mentioned when we were kind of prepping about how you guys come up, you were mentioning you got a, like a text message at 2 a.m. like, <laughs> oh, hey, I want to try this, let's figure it out. So it, it's really cool just to hear just the kind of, of ingenuity and, and really availability to try new things um, that we always like to hear. So, no, that's cool. Okay. Um, can you buy uh, New Heights outside of the brewery? Sell it in stores in the area. Yeah, we're all of uh, Middle Tennessee. Uh, it's kind of the, the, the middle swaths of Tennessee and also Eastern Tennessee. Uh, we are uh, in talks to go down to Alabama right now. <clears throat> so we're. Cool. Oop. <laughs> we'll get you. You're fine. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so actually, the the last thing that we want to call out because we were just talking about the bar is um, for our viewers out there. If you have any details on this request for coaster thing that we've kind of run into um, recently, we'd love to hear this feedback. Because you guys, you got a just a, a just like a, just a just letter a um, envelope. I got, I got southern all quick. Uh, an envelope filled with a self-addressed stamp envelope inside. Request with a dollar. That's asking for a coaster, and uh, we'll get them periodically. And sometimes they'll come in waves, but they're all all very formulaic. Yeah, very so, similar. It's very weird. It's it's an odd thing. I don't, I don't know if it's a scam or if it's a if it's just legit people collecting coasters and. Right. So hey, if there's <laughs> just going to send them their dollar back or something. All right. No. So if, if any of our the dollar back. Yeah. So if any of our, our brewery viewers are aware of what this is, 
in the comment section of this video, let's get some details. I, I thought that was fascinating. I mean, I know, like we collect, I collect stickers that we put up, and I know other people probably collect those too. So it's just fascinating to hear that there's this kind of underground coaster <laughs> program. Yeah, coaster right. I mean, just I'm going to send you a dollar. Community. All right, I'm going to send you a dollar, and let's see what we get back. So, like I said, if you guys got details, let us know. Um, Dustin, Jeff. Thank you guys. This is really, really informative. Thanks, um, guys. We'll be back with the technical portion of this episode. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers. As you guys heard, right, great, great session with the brewers here at New Heights Brewery. Um, for those of you that might be joining in now, my name is Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist at Talon. With me, Mark Balkanini, Director of Technical Product Marketing at Talon. Yeah. So let's let's get one thing out of the way. I did not notice that you stuck a sticker on me during the other session. It so. says large, in case you can't read it. Right. Are we talking about my ego or just my size? All the above. Okay, good. Well, we got that cleared up. Uh, <laughs> I think so it applies to both, Nick. <laughs> what, are, what are we actually here to talk about today, Mark? Uh, beer. Beer, okay. And? Uh, I heard we're going to talk about blockchain. Yeah. So you, you made me do some research on this one. So <sighs> how come you have a big beer and I'm drinking out of little ones? I just I already finished my big one, that's why. <laughs> sure, yeah, we'll, we'll call it that. Um, no, actually... News flash, everyone. Mark has found an IPA yes. that he actually likes. Yes, here at New Heights. I'm wearing their sweatshirt. See it? Um, yeah, they have uh, actually two. They, they gave me two IPAs that were nice. Uh, I like them both. I think that's one of them that you're drinking right there, maybe. It's so good. Very smooth and not too hoppy. So if you're in the uh, Nashville, Tennessee area, definitely got to stop by, especially if you're not a hophead like Nick, uh, and uh, try their IPAs here. Definitely good. They more. have non-IPAs that are even better. <laughs> so yes, blockchain. Sure. Blockchain. Why do you like blockchain so much, Nick? Is it because you're a big Bitcoin miner? Um, yes, but we'll get into that. My, my personal you should have worn a mining hat. Today. I should have worn a mining hat. <laughs> they don't normally send those out, Mark. But uh, oh. no. So hey, you know, timely actually that we're talking about bitcoins. This is the uh, Nashville Business Journal today. And actually, front and center is yeah. a, a big article about blockchain. How convenient! No. Well, I mean, but it, it, they it, were here today in Nashville, and they published this story. They must have knew we were coming. They they knew we were coming. Uh, <laughs> and we're talking this about blockchain. Craft beer and data is sweeping it, the nation. We've totally. got a huge following. <laughs> Even um, the Nashville Business Journal. Right. Exactly. They, I'm they, sure they knew all about it. <laughs> and they'll be here tonight. Right. No. Exactly. Uh, no. So you mentioned why blockchain, and I think you've kind of highlighted it. It's it's. A lot of people are trying to understand what is it, why does it work, why is it important in my industry. And it's just, it's one of those things, uh, to me, it's almost like if we are around during the invention of the internet, right? That, I think it has that level of critical mass that could really change the way that organizations communicate with each other. Absolutely, even in this article here, in this uh, paper, uh, one of the major investors here in Nashville talks about it being the next next biggest thing since the internet on how it's going to change how uh, you know companies and, and the, the world sees data and, and works with data so yeah so what you know what is the crux or what is the basis of a blockchain Nick what is you know I don't know where you want to start we debate about this yeah uh, no. before about do we talk you know do you start about with the block I think you start with the block of data right or do you start with the network so, so it's a know, chicken and the egg problem between it, the two of us is. when it comes to this. no I mean so a couple Go pieces, figure. right? We don't agree. Uh, always. Um, no, it's well, it's a couple pieces that I want to cover. So first of all, why is this important to our viewers? 
And if we look at just the numbers, so Juniper Research did a study back in 2016, and they found within the year there was some $290 million invested in blockchain. Uh, if you look at the transparency market research firm that put out a study, they're suggesting that by 2024, it's going to be a $20 billion market. Uh, Infosys looked at the average amount of investment that was happening with blockchain in 2017. We're talking about a million dollars for each kind of startup investment that they kind of see. And um, IBM did a survey back in 2017 that said, look, C-level executives, 33% of them are either actively using or in the process of trying to evaluate blockchain. And we've seen these patterns when it came to Spark, machine learning, real-time processing. So to me, there's a lot of benefit for organizations to kind of look at this. To your question of, okay, wh where do we start, right? What is, and I think how you're approaching, what is a block and then what does it mean to be a chain, right? And so if we kind of look at a block, um, at its non-technicalist term that we can come up with, it's essentially a set of transactions, right, that are bundled together. Is it a set or is it a, a block it, is a transaction it is or a, a record? It can be at minimum one, at most a set, right? And so depending on the currencies, so we kind of talked about Bitcoin, there's Ethereum, there's Blackcoin, there, I mean, there's a handful of these things, and each one sort of works a little different, but um, holistically, they kind of fall into two camps. One is a proof of work, and the other one is a proof of stake. Now, today, we're really going to be focusing on the algorithms that use more of a proof of work uh, protocol and kind of how that works. Now, as you mentioned, so what is a block, right? So you have a trusty little diagram that we're going to pull up. <laughs> You yeah. want to do that now? Yeah, you can pull it. Yeah. No, okay. no, pull, pull the diagram. I think this will be good. Um, and so, if we have budget, right, it will show up here instead <laughs> of our great artistic drawing. But so this is the block. Yep. And what happens when you have a block? Well, so it's how does a block get created? So, in this particular case, if we look at just you and I are trying to create data. Well, let's say that I was trying to give you. I'm gonna put this down. It sounds right. like you're gonna go on for a little bit. <laughs> Now, if, if you were going to create a transaction between the two of us, maybe I owe you right. 100 bucks. Traditionally... I hope you don't owe me 100 bucks. I'll never get paid. Oh, ouch. Go on. I'm good. I'm good when it comes out. No, um, <laughs> let's say that we had this transaction. Yep. To validate that a transaction between the two of us could occur, generally, you would have some third party, like a Visa or a MasterCard, validate that this could happen. What, what we're really looking at trying to do with blockchain is create what we're calling a trustless and distributed consensus. So that first indicator of, all right, there's a transaction. So you pull it back up. Well, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to be the Vanna White of today, Mark. Oh, um, sweet. That so really is good looking. we've got this transaction or a group of transactions, and we're going to want to add them to the block. So we, we bundle them together into a block. That block then gets sent to the block network. And what happens in this case, particularly when we're looking at a proof of work, is that that information is distributed to everyone within the network. Everyone has the capability of then validating that this transaction is actually legitimate. Once that is legitimate, they broadcast it to the entire network saying, hey, yeah, we've checked, this is good. Now, where you see this type of technology then work in systems like Bitcoin or Ethereum is how proof of work actually happens. So once we validated the legitimacy of that transaction, in order to pay the miners, if you will, of who's actually kind of validating these transactions through the information that's in the chain, 
uh, you get a cryptocurrency. Okay. So this is where we start seeing things like Bitcoin, right? And so how it's working is, is essentially, hey, I need to validate this transaction because it's a very CPU intensive process doing a basically proof of work algorithm. And I need to sit there and kind of validate. Once I have, I get something back in return. Okay. Right. So that's where you start seeing this kind of explosion of why Bitcoin is now what, eight thousand. I mean, it was at one point it's nineteen. People are saying it's going to be ninety thousand in a couple of years. So, you know, they're, what they're really talking about is just twofold. One, how many people are going to actually exist within the network to validate, and two, how complex does that unit of work have to be to be able to actually validate the transaction? So the value comes from the ability to validate transactions before they get before that block is added to the blockchain. Absolutely, that is that last step in your beautifully drawn yeah. example you. of That's yes, my rough art. Once um, it's validated, then it gets added to the chain. And once it's added to the chain, I think another huge benefit or one of the biggest value adds for blockchain is that the transaction or the block itself can never be changed, right? Right. So it's always a, a, a locked in time history of that or set of transactions in the blockchain. Yep. And a little bit, I mean, the reason why is because there's an algorithm that uses, uh, I believe it's the block before, the time stamp, you know, cer certain attributes that make up that, that block in the blockchain itself, which makes it uh, immutable. Yeah. It cannot be changed. Uh, which, which then uh, makes the blockchain, the, the whole idea of a blockchain, uh, very attractive for many different industries and use cases. And we'll, I think we'll get to that towards yeah. the end, right? But oh, I mean, I mean, a little more examples of where people are looking to use blockchain now. But, but that's, I mean, those are kind of the value add. It's the, the effort to um, validate the block itself mm -hmm. within a network. And I think we'll talk a little bit about the different ways and different networks that are available, right? Yep. And then once it is validated, um, never change. You can't change it. So, so it's definitely uh, very valuable in, in many different uh, industries and use cases. So Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely, as you kind of mentioned, so what we're really talking about so just, here. Just to recap, Nick, yes. with my awesome drawing. Right, we got to make sure, I mean. At least you got to show the drawing once and then show sure, the Make sure diagram. it gets a little higher than the trees, my friend, so they yeah. can see your artwork. Block is created or submitted to the network. People validate it within the network. They mine the network. They mine the network and validate the block. Once it's been validated, it gets added to the chain. Yep, absolutely. Sim this is the most simple way of putting it, but very, very simplistic, but yes. <laughs> Gold star for your artwork, Mark. No, I Thank mean, you. Thank you. It, but so, yeah, it's, it's twofold. And, and, and what I see, which is going to be really interesting, is as blockchains grow and the need for additional validators or miners, if you will, increases, a couple things happen, right? Um, and so essentially, the more compute power that you have within the network to do these validations, um, and by the way, it's twofold. Not only are you validating the transaction or transactions in the block, you're also helping kind of create the currency which is used to pay the miners. So there's a twofold effort to this. But as it becomes more difficult, well, we start to see the, the cost of block creation increase. To something like uh, some of the econo economists, economists, my kind of day, economists that are sitting here saying, hey, by 2020, you might use as much energy to run a blockchain as 
Denmark, right? They're calling out that country. That's a lot of energy. Does it Denmark use a lot of energy? Uh, Don't they have a lot of windmills? They probably do. I mean, not saying how the energy is created. I'm just saying that's a lot wow. of energy to be able to kind of put behind this. Right. Um, which means that the cost of block creation goes up, which means also we need to start looking at the reward for that has to be economically similar. So you start to see some of these increases. Uh, what's interesting about this is that we're starting to see this new ch uh, a shift in the algorithms behind blockchain. So as before, as you kind of heard me say a couple of times, we have this proof of work. We have now what we're considering a proof of stake, uh, which is essentially instead of having a very, comp uh, very tough and comprehensive CPU intensive process to validate the algorithms, uh, we reduce some of that such that um, one, you're no longer having to mine the cryptocurrency that would be delivered because you're not actually giving a reward for creating the chain. Instead, what they're looking at is kind of shifting it to be more transaction-based. So you, you basically, for the fees, that's what the, the miners are rewarded. But because there is essentially all of the coins up front, um, there's no, not really that level of competition, if you will. But what that means is that the CPU power used is more focused on actually validating the blocks within the chain. So the cost should go down. <clears throat> so, so one downside right now is cost, and they're trying to figure that out, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I understand there's a, another downside right now that they're trying to figure out, and that's the speed. Yes. I, I mean, and just listening to you talk about you know the compute power and and what it takes to to mine you know a Bitcoin network and uh, bitcoins and, and a block. Not, not to mention that, but I believe there's another limiting factor as well, correct? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you're highlighting it, which is <clears throat> as we create more compute power within the network and the number of blocks that need to be created, the, the increase in validation, if you will, inherently to protect the chain itself, there are, out, there are blocks, if you will, or blockers to limit the amount of exposure. Yeah, block blockers. and blocks. So many blocks. No. Um, limit the exposure or rather protect the consistency of the chain. And what that essentially is, is I mean, if we look at it, if it's taking more and more time to validate that a block is actually legitimate, that means the amount of blocks that we can actually have in limbo, we need to cut that down, which means the overall transaction uh, per seconds that we're starting to see with some of these blockchains is going to vastly change depending on a number of variables. And that, you know, I mean, if we look at you know, a well-established number in terms of Visa, they're looking at 20,000 transactions per second. And right. how, many, how many blocks can you mine so or process as much as, as much as I could research, and I will preface it by that, it, it looks about, you know, anywhere from, you know, I've seen best maybe 12 blocks a second that you can insert in. And that or, or creates the blocks to then validate within the network. And that's just largely due to, as we talked about, processing power and things like that. Now, that number could you know, scale back or forward depending on a number of factors. But everything I kept talking to with our partners, looking online, I'm working with some of the customers, is that that's kind of where we're at. So you know, there's, there's room for growth, don't get me wrong. Um, and I think that that's where we start seeing the proof of stake uh, that we're seeing, especially in Ethereum that is kind of the main forefront of that cryptocurrency trying to shift to this, we'll start having some of the benefits, right? Now, there is a hybrid that I was able to get some details on. It wasn't fully clear, but I think that as we're seeing, I mean, when we're talking about the amount of investment behind this 
you know, initiative, we'll get there very quickly. I'm sure. Now, you mentioned, and, and you know, we've kind of talked about transactions, and you've probably read in the past that you know, when we think of a blockchain, you can think about it as a distributed ledger, which, look, you know, when we look at the potential of what's available for this type of technology, right, obviously financial transactions is the first one that we, we've even mentioned here, but there's so many more. Absolutely. Right? So you were doing some of the research. You had a couple, I mean, specifically with your expertise in healthcare. Yeah, healthcare uh, is definitely one of them. You should drink while I talk about this quickly. Yeah, you know, I've... Because <laughs> you're, you're grossly behind. I, yeah, I, well, so. Got we're you on my shoulder. Chugging. We're not even chugging anymore. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so naturally, if you listen to how we, you know, just, you know, the overall keep chugging. Uh, the <laughs> trying to pay attention to you, Mark. There's a wealth no, no, of information. Don't worry, man. You can listen and drink, can't you? Right. Or is you like one to one? Oh, you know, it's okay, Mark. You know, like right. Intake liquid or volume, Nick. It's all. It's all right. a piece of work, Mark. Just a single piece of work. Parallel, not serial <laughs> intakes. So yeah, so I mean, naturally, if you think about you know, everything we've talked about, how um, the level of validation on records uh, going into the block and the blockchain itself, when it's committed to the blockchain, and then um, also, you know, one thing we hadn't talked about yet, but we can mention it: uh, the you know, you a record is never updated, or yeah. a block, I mean, is never updated. So really, you know, not only financial but also healthcare. So you think about e-records, uh, your, your electronic health records. Mm -hmm. You know, people are really looking into that. And this article here in, in Nashville is talking a lot about the healthcare industry and bit or uh, well, I mean, um, blockchain. Uh, you know, and some other, you know, not only e-health records, but one of the things that I found very interesting, especially with my background in pharma, is they're uh, <coughs> they're looking at, you know, using blockchain to also help. Um, you know, track physician um, mm -hmm. records, so the credentials and licensing. So a big thing that you know I've always been heavily involved in when I was at Abbott and uh, even at Walgreens, I was involved with uh, our the MDM project was all around the credentials. Can this doctor prescribe narcotics? Can they describe any drug? Right. Any, you know, are they sanctioned? Are they on some sanction list? So they're they're looking at using blockchain for that and. These really are, you know, great examples of where blockchain can absolutely help in those types of fields and industries. Because, one, it's sharing data across many different, you know, um, yeah, partners and many different industries or not industries, but different companies and, and different, you know, with with just validating physicians is, you know, we would buy literally at Walgreens. We were buying, I think, seven or eight different sources of data. Uh, from a national level, and then you also had every state yeah. kept their own level. So if you had a single blockchain of, say, physician, um, you know, licensing and um, sanctions against physicians, that'd be so much easier for you know companies like a single, Walgreens, a CSV, single source of truth, CS, C, CVS, not right. CSV. That's well, the file structure, file format. <laughs> see, this is why I take my time, yeah, and you just yeah. bull rush in, Mark. Well, no, you've chugged them now, so we'll see how you do. <laughs> no, I, I guess you brought up a really interesting use case, and I think we've all been there, where we go find a new primary care yeah. physician, and they sit there and say, "We need your his like your your history." Absolutely. And then it's up to you to have to go to every doctor you've ever seen, and. and get those in it's physically printed out, right? Yeah, and, Imagine. and the whole idea of the electronic health record scares the shit out of me. 
personally, and it always has. Yeah. Uh, until you know, you start thinking about you know, and you start researching and understanding how blockchains work and and, and what it takes to mine them and who can mine them and things like that. All of a sudden, electronic records aren't so scary. Right. Um, you know, again, it's how do you grant access to your, your block of information on the blockchain uh, for e-records? You know, that's that's a piece that you know I think still needs to be figured out. So how can I go in to my own electronic health record without you know spending hundreds of hours and having six yeah. computers computing to get to it? Right? How do I get there and see that my information's right? But I you know I have a, a much better feel that it's secure. Absolutely. Than, than I would, you know, any other solution or any other anything else I've ever seen on electronic health records to date. So, I mean, it, it's something that we were talking about in our last episode that I can't remember if it actually got in the recording or not was the ability, as you mentioned, I really look at blockchain and the technology behind it as a way of providing power back to the individual consumer about information regarding them, meaning hey, you look at Amazon, Google, Microsoft, these companies have tons of information about who you are, what you do, what you've done on the internet, and the ability to harvest that information and allow individuals to have complete control while then partnering with companies to give them access to that data. And all of a sudden, there's a whole way, a change of not only power of who owns the data, but how can you monetize that type of situation where, hey, we might be entering a world where I'm being paid for Target or for Walmart or even Talon to be able to have access to my information, which they then use for their machine learning algorithms and things like that. You've mentioned a number of healthcare-related cases, but this this type of technology far outweighs just uh, FinServe and healthcare. I mean, we're talking Absolutely. about you know government being able to handle um, passports, providing single location for all people to be able to have that. We start looking at shipping and tracking goods, right? FedEx, UPS, all those guys start changing. Uh, I even read about, uh, you, you know, they're looking at using blockchain to, to track like cattle yeah. in, in the livestock industry. Uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. No, I, didn't, it, I didn't know that was such a problem. But. but It's actually funny. So a friend of mine um, works for the Beef Cattlemen's Association, and we do talk about what they're looking in that particular case is, hey, we want to have, just like we have records, right, electronic health records, for people, there's a huge movement in understanding the types of antibiotics, the types mm. of medications, and all that that the cattle are getting. So it totally makes sense to have a single place for this information. See, I was just kidding, but Nick had to take it. Take I, it I actually, yeah, no, you know, wealth <laughs> information in here. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I That's think that's what the large sticker was for. Is the right, it's, it's, yeah. it's a, it's actually a pretty big noggin. <laughs> I can't wear a hat because it's just so big. Um, so, hey. I mean, I hope that this has been a wealth of uh, a very useful session for you guys. I know that just in terms of the research that we did behind this, it's it's really interesting. I know I'm very excited about it. It sounds like you're excited Absolutely. about it as well. So, you know, if you have more questions about blockchain or you want to add call comments me. in, call me. <laughs> no, uh, add them to the comment section below the video. We'd love to, you know, start the dialogue between ourselves and our viewers. Um, this has been great. Uh, you know, yeah. next next week we're in. Very well. Next, next week. week. I hope next it's not week. next week. My wife will kill me. No, our next <laughs> session is in Santa Clara. Hey, um, California. Yep. So back you, to California. It'll be a second show in California. Yeah. Back there, if you guys uh, are around and are interested, uh, we'll put the details in the comment section. And uh, yeah, I think this is it for our episode here in uh, 
in Nashville. So thanks again. Um, I'm Nick. I'm Mark. We'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs>